We have a special guest today here at noon. Um, my good friend and brother, Jason Hubbard. Um, Jason is based out of Bellingham, Washington. He is a uh, father, also a grandfather. Uh, he has a few grandkids in in that are uh, uh, have already come out. So grateful for that. And uh, he is um, the director of the International Prayer Council, or I'm sorry, International Prayer Connect (IPC). And he's also the founder of the Global Family 24-7 Prayer Room. Jason has done just a lot of things. He's involved in so many things. I, I, you know, I'll be in another call and I'm like, oh, Jason's involved in that. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, well, so he's just really doing a lot in terms of connecting the body of Christ globally for prayer and missions. And um, definitely an honor for me and I think for all of us who work with him to be able to partner with him on a regular basis and it's been a joy to work together on Global Family. So, Jason, I'm going to pass it over to you um, and take it away. If you just leave us um, five minutes at the end, we're going to do a few announcements. Great. Thanks, Jonathan. Wow, so good to be with everybody. I've uh, been looking forward to this. Uh, incredible what God's doing through 10 days. So I just want to honor Jonathan as well, founder of 10 days and this partnership, uh, global family prayer room in 10 days and IPC and so many other global prayer movements. It's just incredible how God's bringing us together, this convergence of different streams and prayer movements, uh, all for the glory of the lamb. So, amen. Looking forward to today. I want to share, uh, <clears throat> about the word glory. So we're going to talk about the word glory today um, in a few different ways and different angles. And so, uh, again, we'll be doing some teaching today, and then I hope we can have a, a few minutes to pray towards the end. Uh, and then we'll hand it back to you, Jonathan and uh, Grant. So uh, let me open in prayer. Father, I thank you for this time. Oh, we love you. We praise you. We exalt you. You are high and lifted up in the train of your robe of glory fills the temple. God, I pray for your uh, revealed excellence to rest upon us during this hour. We invite you. We welcome you. Thank you that you're here with us on the call. I pray for a thin place right now. God, I pray that your word would penetrate our minds and our hearts. Transform us. Sanctify us, Father, by your truth. Your word is truth. I pray that after this this time of uh, being with you and your word, that um, be a little more likeness of Jesus shining through each one of us. Lord. Give this time to you now. Amen. Just returned from Indonesia for the World Prayer Assembly, and the theme was Habakkuk two fourteen uh, that the <clears throat> The earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So I want to focus on that word glory a bit today. I'd be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And um, I think it's it's better to understand it not just a, sort of as this one wave of glory, but of waves of glory. In fact, the, the imagery there is a wave, waters cover the sea, a wave coming over the water and then a tsunami on top of that wave. And when we think about the knowledge of God, 
Um, what is it? What, what comes to your mind? <clears throat> Who God is, what he does, uh, what he's about, what he feels that all that he is would be revealed. It would be uh, unveiled or disclosed to all the earth would be covered, saturated with uh, wave after wave, uh, literally a tsunami of, of the glory of the Lord, the knowledge of who he is would come crashing in on the beaches of the nations, of the peoples of the earth. And so that's what our hope is rooted in. Amen. And this is one of the, 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 the promises, the great promises of God's word that we pray into with confidence, right? Our hope is rooted in this promise that the earth will be full of knowing the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Uh, so <clears throat> he's going to fill it with the fullness of its capacity. The premise is that everywhere God will be present and in every place, the knowledge of him will be enjoyed to its fullest expression. And so the way that Isaiah declares this, right, in Isaiah 11, verse 9, uh, Habakkuk repeats it in 2.14. David sings this. Uh, you think about Psalm 72, verse 19. He uh, wraps up the, the second book of Psalms. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite verses, Psalm 22, 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Uh, fantastic. You know, of course, we know with David, right? Uh, the whole earth would be filled with God's glory in the context of worship-saturated prayer in his day in the tent or tabernacle of David. So David, this man after God's own heart, saw the intimate details of God's dwelling place in heaven, right? The, the very perfection of beauty, along with its governmental order of worship around his throne. David was commanded then to replicate this pattern on the earth. The heavenly order of worship that David received by revelation, it was God-centered, it was uh, relational, it would be continual, uh, musical, and antiphonal or responsive. And so David sings this reality. Uh, Malachi proclaims it. Malachi 1.11, for from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, right? It's the setting of his name. There, there, uh, his name would be made great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. I love this because it really is the zeal of the Lord that's going to bring this to pass, right? It's the determination of God that's going to bring this to pass. And that gives us confidence in our prayer and in our worship. This is where we're going and this is where we're going to end uh, experiencing and Knowing, enjoying, seeing, savoring the, the glory of the Lord, the knowledge of his glory. 
So Malachi proclaims this is going to happen from the rising of the sun to its setting. So day and night, the name of the Lord is going to be made great. He proclaimed that in every place on the earth, incense, right? The prayers of God's people will be offered to his name uh, together with a pure offering of worship and praise. And again, the purpose was so the name of the Lord, his renown, his reputation, uh, the very spread of his fame would be made great in the nations. <laughs> Woo! So <clears throat> Amos, the prophet Amos comes and he, he prophesies this, uh, right? That this tabernacle of David would be restored. <clears throat> uh, uh, <clears throat> James comes and then validates in the New Testament in the book of Acts. And I love, uh, it says, you know, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I'll rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things. So he's tying together now this in the, the spirit of the tabernacle of David, of what David was doing in his day, that the very spirit of that would be restored in our day. And in verse 17, he already ties his promise to the harvest so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord. So we know that this movement of, of worship-saturated prayer, it's going to be fueled by God's beauty. And it's going to release such an intimate revelation of Jesus through song. It's going to produce the same uh, response in the nations as when Isaiah actually saw Jesus face-to-face, -face, right, in Isaiah 6. God's people aren't just going to sing worthy. They're going to sing why he's worthy. And the nations are going to respond. <laughs> this time, it would not just be local and, and uh, partial, limited, like it was in David's day. But this is in the last days will be global, total, comprehensive waters covering the sea. Uh, this waves of the glory of the Lord. Uh, flowing out of worship-saturated prayer. It's going to include now all the Gentiles in every place. Amen. And then, of course, we know the great uh, uh, Revelation 4 and 5, right, is going to illustrate this reality in heaven, and then we're going to see this break forth on the earth. Revelation 5, 8 and 9, right? When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which the prayers of the saints, they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every uh, tribe, every Language, people, nation, ethnic. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Hallelujah. So we know that Revelation 4 and 5 is going to reveal the pattern of worship in heaven. At day and night, uh, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, they're never ceasing to say, uh, Holy, holy, holy. And they're singing this new song with harps. 
worship and praise with golden bowls full of incense, right? It sounds like Malachi 1, right? The prayers of the saints is intermingling of worship and, and in, in intercession. And, and, there, and it's, it's all based on the sacrifice of the Lamb of Christ. Worthy is the Lamb. He's all deserving. It all belongs to him. And this leads to a harvest song about the redeemed coming from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And it's, again, it's because of the absolute worth of Jesus. May the lamb who is slain receive the due reward of his and for his sufferings. So I have a sense that in these last days, um, when we think about the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, well, I believe it's going to be the knowledge or the revealing of the glory of the Lamb, that the Holy Spirit's going to unveil the glory of Jesus, the Lamb of God, across the earth, and it's going to produce in the people of God this uh, 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 the fullness of his love. Right? We're going to be baptized in his love because of his sacrifice at the cross, and out of that we will respond with day and night prayer, praise, and worship. Uh, that will lead us into this uh, song of the nations of, of every tribe, tongue, nation, and language um, coming to him. I believe there's going to be a massive and glorious harvest at the end of the age. And we're beginning to see that even now. Hallelujah. So let's unpack now a little bit of what that word glory means. I want to start, though, with the word holy. In fact, let me say this. I think there are three biblical words, and these are like hooks for you uh, when we think about the knowledge of God which we have no business even talking about. <laughs> He's so much higher. That's what we're going to start with, the word holy. But I, I think there's three words and then one name that unpack for us the fullness of the, of, of, uh, of the knowledge of God. Uh, the first word would be the word holy. The second word would be the word glory. Uh, the third would be the word love. God is love. And then the name that God gives us that help, I think wraps up the fullness of God is God's personal covenant name, Yahweh. I am who I am. And so let's take a few moments and look at some of these words. And this helps, uh, I think, in our worship, in our prayer uh, to um, set us free with truth. So the definition of holy, let me start this way. Think about holy as uh, all the attributes of God coming together in one glorious whole, okay, one harmonious whole, and then set apart. Okay, the, the Hebrew word for holy means separateness. And it really refers to God's otherness. He is uh, beyond all. There's none like him. There's no darkness in him at all. The fullness of all that he has set apart and uh, it, we know that he's set apart from anything morally impure. Uh, he is the Lord God. There's none like him. Uh, he is perfect, perfection, beauty. It's indescribable. It's incomparable. Uh, it's unfathomable in that sense. Holy, 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 way beyond. <clears throat> And so the biblical response of God, the Holy One, would be what we would say is the fear of the Lord. The biblical de definition of the fear of the Lord. 
Uh, we know in Second uh, Corinthians 6, says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So for me, the, to fear the Lord means to uh, ultimately to stand in awe of him. Right? If he's other than, then we stand in awe of him. At times, it can even be that, that sense of dread, right? We're falling to our faces because he's so holy. But it's, it's not a holiness that would cause us to run away from him, but a, but a holiness that would want us to run to him and hide in him. It's, it's learning how to keep in sync with him. Uh, so that's for a second would be growing in, in our hatred of sin. Right, Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. And of course, this is true. If he is set apart from anything morally impure, then we would uh, want to be set apart in holiness and purity and otherness in that sense. We're, we're um, growing in our hatred of sin, anything that, that opposes him. So people who are God-fearing are people who, are, who fear being out of sync with God. It's a trusting in him it's a hiding in his awesome holy presence <laughs> oof, oof, oof. and we, the fear of the lord is something we need in our day uh, jesus delighted in the fear of the lord jesus himself i mean what does that mean crazy god delights in those who fear him malachi 3 uh, the early church walked in the fear of the lord in fact that was one of the ways that the the, the atmosphere the climate was created that brought tremendous church growth in the book of Acts. Oh, how we need this today. Uh, the, the, and and the, the glorious promises of walking in the fear of God, too. I mean, they're fantastic. To, to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How I many of you need wisdom today? The fear of the Lord gives us understanding and knowledge. How I many of you want knowledge of God? Uh, the fear of the Lord prolongs our days. The fear of the Lord will be rewarded, Proverbs 13. The fear of the Lord brings competence and strength. The fear of the Lord brings life. It's a fountain of life. It leads to life. It, it brings healing to our bones. The fear of the Lord brings riches and honor, uh, abundance. The fear of the Lord helps us overcome sin. Oh, good one. <laughs> so that's the idea of holy, holy, holy. We could talk more about that, but it's this idea of his being set apart. He's distinguished other than none like him. Mm. And he's perfectly pure. Whew. Now, when this God who is other than goes public, makes himself known, that's the biblical word glory. And the word glory means weight or illumination, brightness, splendor. So when the Holy One, this one who's set apart, is made manifest, when he when he comes forth, he goes forth like light, illumination. That's when we use, the Bible uses the word glory. When he manifests his presence, it's weighty. It comes with authority. It's his revealed excellence. <laughs> it's his manifold perfections. It's his goodness that passes before us. God is, is he's not just wise and loving. He's gloriously and surpassingly so <laughs> he's the best right he's the greatest in every quality it's not just he's not just important and worthy of, of our adoration he certainly is 
or he's not just worthy of our submission or our attention, but he's gloriously or supremely so. <laughs> he's infinitely more worthy <laughs> of all our adoration, our submission, our attention than anyone or anything else. So every other being is less than nothing in comparison with his glory. So God's glory, right, is, it's often expressed this way in Scripture, this blazing, blinding brightness, luminosity. And it conveys this concept of, of utter excellence. I just, there aren't words for this, but I'm trying to come up with some. <laughs> it's unbearable brightness. Who has that? indescribable, fascinating beauty. It just it gets across this ultimate incomprehensibility of God to our finite minds. God is exceptional. Mm. Mm. The, the Bible gives us a metaphor for glory often, and it's the word fire, the fire of his glory. And we see this, right? Our God is in all-consuming fire. Um, all throughout the Word of God, and when you get close to God, everything around God gets set ablaze. It's, 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 it's consuming that way. And the ultimate display of God's glory, right? When, when God's otherness breaks forth, comes forth, I think the ultimate display of God's glory in all of human history was the cross. That's what John Piper would call the blazing center of his glory, right? Jesus called this hour of the cross, the hour of glory. And that's why, again, I think it's what God's going to do in the, in the last days. It's going to be a, a revealing, an unveiling of Jesus crucified, now ascended as a lamb. And he's going to unveil the wounds of the lamb. It's going to come forth like a river of glory across the earth, like a tsunami of, of revelation, lamb's waves of glory. Uh, <laughs> and we know this word glory is so important because as he reveals his glory, how do we respond? Well, of course, we glorify him. Everything is for his glory, right? This is one of the primary themes of the Bible. Uh, <clears throat> We exist to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And as Piper would say, the best way we glorify God is by enjoying him forever. Um, but I, I recently did a study on all the glory words. Uh, when it's just, it is so saturated scripture. God has so much passion for the glory of his name. Uh, God, right made the world, the created world for his glory. God's going to heal the broken world for his glory. These are verses that God made us for his glory, Isaiah 43. God saved us to the praise of his glory, Ephesians 1. God does everything for his own glory. When he judges, he does so for his own glory. When he shows mercy, it's for his own glory. Therefore, we must do everything for the glory of God. Ah, hallelujah. So obviously to glorify God would mean to praise him, to adore him, uh, savor him. We sing his praises. We declare his glory. Uh, right? It means that we're going to, in a number of different ways, uh, in our minds, we're going to mentally recognize his supreme excellence in him. Yeah, or 
we want to acknowledge that he's the measure and the standard of all things, the best and the greatest of all beings in the universe. <laughs> he's greater than all gods, right? There's, there's no definition of goodness or love or power or wisdom except in God. All else is good, loving, powerful, wise. We can go on and on and on. All else is good only in relationship to him. Nothing then deserves our deepest respect, our honor more than the Lord, before whom we should fear and tremble. It means uh, with our wills, uh, volitionally, we're going to ascribe ultimate value to him. I think if this is the case, then we should worship him like day and night. What do you think? <laughs> to give him the centrality, the priority of our lives, right? He's due all this. He's worthy in that sense. all deserving. To glorify God, let's see, I make it real simple, means to make him the most important thing in your life. You trust him more than anything else. You want to obey him unconditionally. It means everything else is judged by whether it's going to enhance or detract from his honor or from your relationship with him. What have we orientated our lives and the global family prayer room around the glory of God? <laughs> That's what so many of you are doing around 10 days. It's all about him. <laughs> When we see his beauty, right, we realize that we've got to be willing to pay anything to have him, to honor him. It's how much he's worth to us. And in that, then even emotionally, in our hearts, we, 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 we find our ultimate joy or pleasure in him. He is our treasure in that sense. We find our deepest satisfaction in him. <laughs> Woo! Right, I think about the psalmist, right, that gets joy when he meditates on the glory of God <laughs> and revealed in the works of his creation. There's a, this joyful singing that comes out as we survey his glory revealed in the works of the cross, of, right, of the, our salvation, our redemption. Right, think about thanks and joy and adoration that come together in this act of glorifying in his praise. It seems to, to mean that we experience some kind of fullness, greatness, as we glorify him. Right? To acknowledge his glory, it's to rejoice in him, celebrate him jubilantly, as the very uh, creation does. Hallelujah. Oh, so much to talk about. This word glory, it's fantastic. So as he reveals himself, and we respond by glorifying God. Right? We're created to glorify God and, and enjoy him forever. Uh, right? uh, we, God's most glorified in us, John Piper. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Therefore, we want to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples. So that's the second word. So we started with holy. Now we did glory, but we talked about the, the blazing center of the glory of God. Now, what is it that motivates all of his attributes, all that he is? Well, I believe it's God is love and how we understand the definition of 
God is love is really of the revelation of God as Trinity, the triune God of grace, where God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. He is the three in one God, right? So what that means practically is that God is three persons. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. <laughs> Makes no sense mathematically, but it is so true. <laughs> yeah, Timothy George, uh, let me just read this uh, quote here. Of course, um, he says it this way. Hallelujah. What makes God God? What makes God God? It is the relationship of total and mutual self-giving by which the Father gives everything to the Son. The Son offers back all that he has to glorify the Father. With the love of each being established and sealed by the Holy Spirit who proceeds from both. The doctrine of the Trinity tells us that relationship or personality is at the heart of the universe. <laughs> the center of the universe is a relationship. God is family, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's the forever family, right? So, so the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, each for the other, it's this self-giving love. It's this dynamic currency of the Trinitarian life of God, the dance of the Trinity, each loving, sharing, displaying, giving love. And the persons within the God, right? They each exalt and commune with and defer to the other and mutually submit to the other. Oh, I love this. <laughs> and this is what really defines the humility of God in that sense. We talked about God having passion for his name, but, but think of it this way. It, God, the father is always, has passion for the, the glory of his son. The, the son has passion and glory for the Holy Spirit. And that's this mutual honor and glorifying and, and enjoying the other. And, and that's what love is all about, right? It, so, so really, when we think about the, the triune Godhead, this, this eternal counsels of the Godhead, forever love. God is love. Giving, receiving, sharing. And it's that relationship, uh, right? God is one, but he's not alone. Here it is. It's that relationship that we got baptized into. We get to share in the love the Father has for us. And that love was spilled out of love for you and I. We now become the very ones that he loves. Oh, fantastic. Amen and amen. So I like to think of it this way. We become co-lovers of God, okay? So uh, <clears throat> uh, I'm, uh, let's see, how do I say this? How do I say this? Uh, becoming co-lovers with God of God. Okay, I'm becoming a co-lover with God for one another. I'm becoming a co-lover with God of the world, of the lost, of, of the broken. So there's this receptivity and this outflow of love, of giving away our lives and love for other people. It's a, it's a commitment and it's a dedication. It's unconditional. It, it is, it's love that's affectionate. It's pursuing, it's longing uh, for the other. And this defines the first and, and, and second commandments for us, right? Love is an unconditional commitment. Uh, when I think about it in huge terms now, it's an, it's an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person, 
<laughs> right? It's a, it's a commitment that we're going to give ourselves to, uh, to see the relationships that we have come to God's intended purposes. Amen. And we know that we can't love God unless God first loves us. And so uh, we've got to receive the love of God. This is the glory of the new covenant. We can't love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength until we first receive his love. He loves us with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? With the very dream of his heart, the object of his affection. He, 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 he loves us so radically. Is displayed at the cross, and we receive that love, and then and it redounds in love for him and for others. In fact, scripture would tell us that one of the best ways we love him, the ultimate ways we love him, is by loving people. Amen. Uh, Romans 5 5. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Fantastic. So uh, those are three ways. So when we think practically now about God's love, we want to receive his love, we want to respond, and then we want to display his love. His love is he's so kind. His, think about his thoughts, his intentions, his desires, his plans. They're always for your good, never for your harm. God is so kind, so open, so approachable. He's so frank and eager to be our friend. <laughs> he emotionally identifies with us in our pain, our joy, our hopes, our dreams. He's, he's chosen to allow your happiness to affect his own. Unbelievable. He takes pleasure in you just for who you are, completely apart from your performance or your accomplishments. God's actively, he's creatively orchestrating people and circumstances and events to express his affection and at times correction to provide for your and I's highest good. <laughs> uh, do you love him today? So we talked about his holiness. We talked about his glory, right? When, when the Holy One goes forth, Publicly, it says he's the glorious one. What motivates him? What's in his heart? Well, he's love. He's family. Amen. Now, one of the words, that, uh, I mean, uh, names that God gives us of himself that I think really helps us understand him. Uh, <clears throat> his personal name, his covenant name is his name, Yahweh. Uh, it's this idea of him being the self-sufficient. He inhabits eternity. He is who he is. I am who I am. That's the Yah part of that. Uh, he declares the end from the beginning. He inhabits eternity. He's really, when you think about the Yah part of I am who I am, it, it speaks of him as this otherness, right? He's, he's way beyond. We fear him in this. His, his name is so holy, it's, but that's who he is. So bright, brilliant, glorious. None like him. None like him, mm, way beyond. This name, Yahweh, uh, is used 6,000 times. I think exactly 6,828 uh, times in Scripture. He's all-sufficient. He's all-powerful. He's all-deserving. He's all But in some of the research that I've done, and just the Hebrew studies, and, uh, you know, none of us really know how to pronounce his name <laughs> in 
our uh, modern vernacular. <laughs> uh, even in Hebrew itself, very difficult. There's lots of debates on how you actually say his name. In fact, they treated his name so holy that they didn't even want to say his name. So they were, were often replaced his name uh, with Adonai. But um, when I think about it, and I, this is where God's kind of landed me, and I just encourage you to study this more. And, uh, and I, I think there's revelation in this. I certainly think it includes this. It might not be the whole understanding. Uh, but when you think about the four consonants, again, we don't know where the vowel points are, uh, which, which vowels they are. That's why it's difficult to get the pronunciation down. <laughs> but if we just go with the consonants, so this part we know, uh, yod he vav he uh, yod he wah he you can say it either way, uh, but it's a Y-H-V-H. You could put a W in there, too, and so we get Yahweh. Um, I, I kind of like to think it's more of a V sound. But, um, and it's it's almost comes across like a breath word. Uh, it's, just, it's like and it speaks really the life of God. This is the stuff we know. It, it's, it speaks the very life of God as breath in that sense. Um, and the Yah, we understand that biblically all scholars, no disagreement on this. And he is a self-sufficient one. He is I am who I am. It's really a verb to be. Yeah, this is the part that I think is fresh revelation. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just submit this to you. But I think that the Ahavaha, that the, the, the second part of his name there, it's actually the Hebrew word for love, which is profound to me <laughs> because we go, he is the other one, but he is love. We fear him, but then we relate to him in love. Uh, and I think it defines this fullness of, you know, he is holy, glory, love. Uh, he is a father that loves. He's this triune God that loves so well. So wrapped up in his name, he is. It's beautiful. What's it going to take for us to have a closer and more deeper and intimate relationship with this God who is love? And I think it's going to require us to have greater revelation based on the written word of God, on the truth of the word of God is authoritative. We build our lives on the written word of God. It is inspired authoritative text based on the truth of the word of God is God breathed. Holy Spirit, and this is what we call the, the doctrine of, of, of illumination, Holy Spirit, unveil now and reveal to us by the Holy Spirit who God is to us, to our inner man, to our minds, to our hearts. Uh, disclose to us greater insight into who you are. And I, one of the great, I think, um, things that he's going to be doing more and more and more, more and more and more as we get closer to the end of the age, is he is going to unveil and reveal his knowledge through the revelation of the cross of Jesus as the Lamb. Remember I talked before about the hour of glory, right? Uh, when, he, uh, when I think about uh, John eight fifty eight, uh, Jesus says, when the Son of Man is lifted up, then you will know I am who I am. 
It's the egoimi in Greek, and it's this understanding of, of Jesus' self-understanding and proclamation that he is Yahweh. Yahweh. He, he is, I am who I am. You will know I am who I am when I am lifted up on the cross. And so the cross is this place of the, of the, of the greatest uh, revelation of who God is. He came to, Jesus came to reveal the very name and nature of God, of God the Father, uh, his love, his justice, his power, his healing. Uh, so many of his, of his unrelenting, his mercy, his grace is wrapped up in Jesus and him crucified. And, and, and so forever, we're going to be remembering and giving thanks for what he did for us at the cross. That's why he gave us the table of communion, calls us to, to remember his wounds, and all the finished work of the cross. We come there and we, in that place, we give thanks and we experience it. I love John 6, 56. It says, Jesus says, clearly, he says, those who eat my flesh, those who drink my blood, abide in me and I in them. And it's those who eat and keep on eating. It's in the continuous presence. Those who drink and keep on drinking, abide in me and I in them. So one of the keys to the abiding presence of the Lord is to take in by revelation, Jesus crucified, him, him as, as the Lamb of God. We, we meditate on the passion narratives. On, uh, as, as, as Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 and the places where the Holy Spirit reveals the, the crucified Christ to us. We, we take it and we eat it. We feast on it. We, we, of course, do this corporately through communion. But we can also do this daily in our personal lives. We meditate on the cross. We ask for waves of, of the glory of the Lord to be revealed to us through his cruci cruci crucifixion. Hallelujah. Now, one of the reasons I say this is because not only, and I, we could argue for this all throughout the New Testament, but as we get to the last book, the book of Revelation, of the, the revealing of Jesus, that ultimately what the book is about, <laughs> in, in fullness of his second coming, <laughs> the fullness of who he is will be revealed all the year. <sighs> the primary face of Jesus, how the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus in the text of Revelation, his primary face is revealed is the Lamb of Glory, the Lamb of God. 28 times he's revealed as the Lamb. And I think this is such a key thing for us as we approach the end of the age. And it's going to help, I believe, uh, bring the church back into a John 17 expression of oneness. It's going to be a place where we experience a baptism of love, right? Greater love is none than this, and he lay his life down for his friends. It's going to be a great place of overcoming by the, what, by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome the enemy. In fact, the ruler of this age was cast out where? He was cast out at the cross. Hallelujah. So it gives authority and power over the enemy of our souls. Um, we are healed by his stripes, by his wounds. So the healing power of God's going to break forth as we meditate on his stripes.
I've had such a strong sense this year and several other of the, the global prayer movement leaders. And we had this theme from the Lord. It was come to the table. And, um, and in twofold, one, it would be this, we would celebrate global communion together. And we did that at Passover Sunday. It has been sobbing on so many calls where communion has been a primary focus. We're getting back to the cross. We're getting back to the lamb. Behold the lamb. We want to behold the lamb for all that he is. Eating his flesh, drinking his blood. Right when we, when we gaze on his glory, we get changed from glory to glory. It's the key to his abiding presence. Right, the cross is the power of God. First Corinthians 117. How many of you want to walk in the manifest power of God? We have to get back to the cross. We have to get back to the Lamb in these last days. Even in, in even into the New Jerusalem, right? It says that the Lamb is the lamp of the eternal city. Says Jesus right now as a lamb, looking as if he'd been slain, standing in the center of the throne. And, and, and the four living creatures, the 24 hours are collapsing under the weight of the lamb, and they're singing the song of the lamb <laughs> day and night, night and day. Show us your glory, Lamb of God. Holy Spirit, illuminate. Unveil. Show us the Lamb in the center of the throne. In heaven, let he be the center of the, the altar of our hearts on the earth, in the church, and our house of prayers, and global family prayer. Show us the wounds of the Lamb. So this picture right now of, of a side wound of Jesus when he was on the cross and they took the spear and they pierced his side and came forth blood and water. And I think that water really speaks of the, of the Holy Spirit and this, this river of life flowing out from the side wound of the lamb from the very heart of the lamb would flow for the river of glory, of a river of love and the Holy Spirit of, of the love of God being flowing out like a river into our hearts, baptizing us in love. God, I pray that baptize us in love, oh God. So, it's so profound to me. I think it's here. I just, just finished up a book on the Moravians, and, uh, and in part because this is the 300-year anniversary of the founding of Harrenhut. Many of you know the story, but they, when they when they began, they just had so much dissension and fighting and uh, unforgiveness, bitterness, and they just couldn't get along. They couldn't live together well. About a five-year process of that, <laughs> Zinzendorf catches wind of this. He actually moves his house from Berylsdorf, just a few minutes away, uh, a few miles away, and he moves to Herrenhut, and, and he gives himself, and he goes home to home, sharing about Jesus crucified, the glory of the Lamb, sharing about the blood of the Lamb, his wounds and his, his love, and 
and uh, the gospel. And, and in that, this sense of repentance began to be stirred up in this, what they called the summer of revival in 1727. And, and, um, and they're on their way to communion service in Beardlesdorf, the Church of Reconciliation, it's called. And it was in this place uh, where the Spirit began to again convict them of their relational disunity and dysfunction. Again, it was a communion service so, uh, around the table. And Sinsendorf <laughs> preaches again <laughs> Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And as they begin to repent and get right with one another, come back to being in one accord, forgiving each other, and rightly discerning not just the body of the Lord, but the body of Christ. As they did that, then the Spirit of God came upon them so powerfully. It was called the Moravian Pentecost. And it the only way they could describe it was it was like a baptism of love. They were washed and saturated with, well, completely overwhelmed with the, with the love of God. And, and it is spilled out in love for one another. They began to grow in this great love as, as community, as family, as the body of Christ. And it was under that, that revelation of his love that then they began to pray night and day. Guys, this is what's got to be the foundation of Global Family Prayer Room. Day and night, we'd be receiving his love. And because of his love, then the fire would never go out on the altar. We would, we'd respond to that love with day and night praise and worship and intercession. He'd have his due reward. May the lamb who was slain receive his due reward. And then the, 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 the pattern of that, then, as they prayed night and day, right, the, the Malachi 1.11, as they did this, Revelation 4 and 5, following the pattern of heaven and worship, as they did this, then God began to send forth laborers to the unreached peoples and send missionaries to the ends of the earth. But that, but that mission flowed out of love. That love flowed of revelation of the Lamb, of Jesus crucified. They were responding like, like with prayer and intercession and worship day and night, around the clock for a hundred years. And then they went on gospel mission because of the worth of the absolute worth of Jesus. Oh, I believe that's what God's doing in our day. So, Lord, I pray again, you'd fill us with your love, that we learn to love one another so deeply. We'd lay our lives down for one another. That we bear one another's burdens here on the global family. God, I pray that we would listen well, we care well. We... <laughs> Lord, we confess that we don't know how to do this, God, especially over Zoom and all the nations. God, forgive us for all of our pride. Not loving well. God, forgive us. Wash us with your blood, God. Help us to come together as one. As you and your son are one, God. As, as for waves of the revelation, knowledge of the Lamb of glory, send it upon every believer, God, in the global family prayer room, God, across the earth, a tsunami of the glory of the Lamb, God, would, would come crashing in, and it would, it would change the very spiritual atmosphere of the church, God, globally. Pray these things in Jesus Christ. Uh, God's people say, Amen.